0: Hey everyone and welcome to this week's On the Spot. I'm Zach Strickland here with as you always JP Hamstand JP, welcome. Our Director of Passport Research uh, here at Waves. So, you know, I can't I can't say that things are the same as last week, but the more that they change, the more they stay the same. Yes. Is that accurate? <laughs> yes, that's accurate and very philosophical of you, Zach. Um, no, we, the we
1: continue to pull back from sort of peak contracted truckload volumes. Um, right now, uh, OTVI or just our outbound tender volume index is about 10,900, um, which is, you know, it was, what did it peak at? Like uh, It was just under 13,000. Yeah, so it 12, it's pulled back significantly. Um, and it seems like
0: the uh, drop in volumes is starting to accelerate a little bit. Did yeah, you see that? Yeah, we're starting to see some acceleration in our volume drop. Uh, we're starting to see some noted acceleration in the tender rejection drop uh, as well. We're back down to around 14% on our outbound tender rejection index, which is roughly where it was on March 18th. Uh, Oh,
1: I see, I see. On on the way up. Yep, on the way up. So it's okay. Um, and yeah, you mentioned earlier uh, before we started filming that the outbound tender rejections, the tender rejections are kind of lagging um, the volumes by like a week or so. Is that right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It looks like we're, O-Try is running about seven to eight days behind uh, tender volumes. So that means that you know it, it makes sense if you're yep, thinking about yep. this intuitively. Uh, you know, it takes a little while for that capacity to tighten as all these volumes are increasing. Carriers are increasingly on the move. Increasingly out of position Uh, volumes are going a little rampant takes a little minute before they realize hey we don't have the capacity to service uh, all these pickups and then on the backside of course it takes a minute for everybody to get back into place and start realizing oh I can manage this and so a little bit by little uh, we're getting back to where we were before
1: and typically the way we think about it is that uh, volumes lead uh, tender rejections, which lead um, movements and spot rates.
0: Yeah, in demand side uh, contractions like we see right now, or demand side tightening like we see right now, which is not like your Christmas and Thanksgiving and July the 4th uh, situations. There's a There's a little bit of a demand uh, side, but there's also a lot Mm -hmm. of supply side as people are taking vacations, they're coming off the road, etc. So that's kind of the invisible part. So tender rejections actually were up higher, uh, you know, in you know, they typically are up higher in those times of year because the supply side's down. Right, right, of course, right. the demand was so strong this time that we broke through our Christmas levels uh, by about March 20th or so.
1: And what we've spoken um, earlier, I think maybe last week, about some other kinds, uh, you know, part of the nature of this. Unusual peak in volumes might keep tender rejections higher. Specifically, um, the fact that some shippers are seeing unusually high volumes, some shippers are seeing unusually low volumes, makes it more difficult for large asset-based carriers to allocate capacity correct efficiently and correctly, which
0: in turn leads to higher tender rejections. Things like that. Correct. I mean, you're seeing uh, the nature of you know carrier networks are based on. Knowing they're going to have 15 loads a day coming from Dallas going to Chicago, and then another 15 loads a day coming from Chicago to Atlanta, and so on and so forth across the country. So the hard part about what we're seeing right now uh, is probably due to the fact that a lot of these uh, imbalances in their network are really becoming more apparent. uh, But also the fact that if there's drivers sitting around more often now, they're not being able to get into position. Um and we're and, that- and where the volume is um, could be
1: in the lanes or facilities that are seeing higher way times and and sort of um, hurting driver productivity, even even with um, the hours of service
0: regulations being lifted for certain kinds of freight. Right, it doesn't matter if your hours of service are lifted if you can't get to where you're supposed to be in a timely manner. Uh, Now you were talking about, before the show, we were talking about how you noticed a few of the markets in the country that were notably higher than the others. So we're sort of seeing this manifest itself In our data so
1: some of the, some of the larger markets um, have fa- fallen off even faster than national average volume so if you look at um, markets like Los Angeles or Chicago or Elizabeth New Jersey um the volumes have really deteriorated sharply um, to where they're, they're well below kind of where they should be on a year-over-year basis. But two of the um, larger markets that we notice that are actually performing pretty well, still you know, coming off their peak, but what, with volumes well elevated above a normal level are um, Atlanta and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And can you talk about some of the reasons why those markets might be performing so well right now?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we're, you know, theoretically speaking, these are markets that are outside, you know, well, not necessarily Atlanta, but these are, these encompass areas that are outside of large, densely populated metro areas. I think you came up with this idea that, you know, as the, you know, these denser populated areas are doing more shelter at home, they're shutting down more uh, businesses, et cetera, that's going to be less freight, obviously, uh, from that aspect. But I think also what you're seeing is the fact that a lot of these, uh, Kind of sparse, outlying metro areas, as Harrisburg and Atlanta have in them, right. uh, are breeding grounds for D.C.s and warehouses, and these consumer products and uh, food warehouses are abundant in Atlanta, etc. I mean, so you're, you're what you're probably seeing is that's being held up uh, by that continued demand of those specific types of goods. So the shippers that are in these areas, in these markets, are going to be a little bit more active, you know, converse to the. You know, the Elizabeth, New Jersey, where you really have a lot of manufacturers or warehouses that are dependent on porks. You know, that type of volume, you know, Los Angeles. But
1: Elizabeth is not like the same kind of destination for imported food as, for example, Philadelphia is. Correct that's interesting yeah now I want to say that like you know I haven't sort of tried to quantify this but I have a hunch that because um, local and state governments in the southeast were a little bit slower to impose work and movement restrictions that mm-hmm. there might just be in there might be more kind of um, you know receivers open more businesses open a little bit more economic activity um in, in that region, which could be driving volumes out of Atlanta, I, you know, I, I really don't know, but um, that may have something to do with it. I
0: think, I think there's credence to that, uh, the, especially in the you know the South. Again, population density is not as much as it is in the Northeast, nor is it in LA. You know, LA, Elizabeth, New Jersey, Chicago, all some of the most densely populated areas in the country. Houston is a huge city, but it's very spread out. Uh, Atlanta is a huge city, but again, it's very spread spread out. out. It's got a lot of real estate to work with. Uh, That also, you know, kind of lends itself to the fact that these warehouses are built on cheaper real estate. Uh, So that's going to have a bigger impact. That's that's a D.C. freight environment versus a manufacturing or port holding facility. Correct. Correct.
1: Yeah, you mentioned Charlotte as another uh, strong market um, Mm -hmm. that's that's doing pretty well. You know, again, off-peak, but...
0: Uh, still really elevated. Yeah, Charlotte is a consumer market for sure. Uh, So again, there's probably a few DCs in that area uh, that are really pumping out the volume to make sure they're supplied. Uh, But it's normally a very backhaul market, which means that there's a lot more inbound than outbound. Um, But the markets around it uh, do have a high amount of outbound as well. So Atlanta actually feeds the Charlotte market quite a bit with that Mm. freight. That's one of the biggest lanes in the country, Atlanta to Charlotte, because Atlanta acts like a hub. And again, that's probably why we're seeing some of this propping up in the Atlanta market, because these hub areas are supplying the freight to these consumer uh, centers.
1: We're seeing some pretty interesting stuff on the ocean as well. If we want to kind of like look forward uh, to what may be coming to our shores in the future, um, still seeing quite a few blank sailings, both from China and from um, on the eastbound Trans-Pacific, but also on the westbound Trans-Atlantic from Europe. Um, a lot of sailings are being canceled, and. And that's in the face of an anticipated rebound in Trans-Pacific volumes that should be hitting American shores in the next four to six weeks. Um, so, you know, with with Chinese production coming back online, they're rushing to, you know, fill orders to get their workers back going, get their economy back going. But this is happening when demand in North America is cratering. Right. Um, and... Uh, Warehouses are, you know, have a lot of times have been restocked. Are full inventory levels are are still high for a lot of a lot of things. Not necessarily food, but um, the kinds of sort of uh, manufactured goods that you know, like the things that people would be buying in spring and summer.
0: Right. That they would be loading now. Um, People haven't gone out and bought yet. Yeah, and to that point, I I think uh, you guys had a report that was stating about the retail. We had a lot Mm -hmm. of retail uh, cancellations coming up over the the summer. Is that accurate?
1: Yes, yep, yep. Um, And so, but there's going to be this weird, like, sort of, people are talking about port congestion bottlenecks in the supply chain especially in the Southern Californian ports where um, retailers not only do they not necessarily have room to receive this freight and, and process it in their supply chains, but in a lot of cases they you know they can get into a little bit of uh, financial stress if they're laying out cash to take claim of this cargo and they literally and their revenues are going to zero right. Um, so, you know, not a position they would to be in. So, and, and again, you know, if you think about um, Asian imports like, uh, like apparel things like that can be really a challenge people aren't going to the store and trying on clothes they're not going on vacation they're not going out to restaurants they're not going to work they're not going to large events they're not buying clothes um and a lot of that is like you know there's a spring season there's a summer season so um things like that are going to be really challenged and we're just kind of keeping an eye Yeah, there were earlier issues with um Empty containers piling back up at the ports with no way to get home to Asia, and um, I think I just think that. We've just now started to see sort of the knock-on effects of the initial wave of canceled sailings following the coronavirus outbreak in China. And it's still kind of percolating and rippling through the supply chain. It's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out.
0: Now, we have seen a little bit of recovery in some of that China volume coming to the United States. But have we seen anything really significant that makes you think that they are actually back to operating 100 percent? No, I mean
1: no. I mean volumes are going up, like in terms of like if you look at like customs imports to the port of LA and port of Long Beach, they're going up. But I mean
0: they're still, you know, double digits off any kind of normal level. Yeah, and I, I think that. You know, the interesting thing to, to, to watch as this thing is unfolding is even as we reach, you know, here, I think they're forecasting the peak of outbreak here in the next two weeks in terms of case growth. And then, of course, unfortunately, the the death, the death deaths follow that uh, a few weeks later. But uh, depending on how we, you know, reduce the limitations on people's travel, going to work, et cetera, there's still a big unknown about how all this, you know, the bottlenecks are going to have this downstream effect for months to come. Do you think that's, that's accurate? Do you think there's going to be? Oh, yeah, I think it's going to be a huge problem because um, as companies come back online
1: in certain parts of the country and in certain parts of the supply chain, whether it's a manufacturer who wants to ramp production but its suppliers are shut down or whether it's a transportation company um, that's getting back to work but its, its customers aren't you know you're going to have all sorts of those things where um, the pace of production and the movement of freight is going to proceed at kind of the pace of the sl- the weakest link in the supply chain in, in a way Um, So, I think companies are gonna have to get creative, they're gonna have to communicate with all of their partners upstream and downstream, and really think, you know, um, sort of thoughtfully about what uh, a return to full operations really looks like for them.
0: What do you think some of the sectors are that are gonna show up first, like when they all start returning to work? I mean, obviously the restaurants uh, will be able to function somewhat regularly again, but then they won't, they may not have customers. So, right. uh, You know, outside of that, what do, what do you think some of these sectors, you know, maybe in the manufacturing, that might
1: I mean, honestly, turn on first? I think one of the biggest indicators, um, one of one of the how we know we're going to reach a tipping point is when when it's it's not a, a commercial segment, but when schools re- reopen, if they do reopen, right? Right. Yeah, we're um, about to be summer here in America. Right. Yeah, so that's that, that's going to be. I think that's going to be interesting. I mean, as as far as other sectors go, I think um, you might still see places like movie theaters and restaurants and um, gyms have very sort of like a limited availability, or maybe, maybe they only go will open up for like 25% capacity, twenty five percent capacity, fifty percent capacity. We've seen that in China. But I'm talking more just about. Um, you know, will um, a factory be able yeah. to fully staff? Yeah, when
0: does the automotive sector finally come back online? Yeah, you know, yeah, that might be a like good that, that might
1: yeah. be a good indicator of like when um, uh,
0: it's perceived to be safe for like heavy industry to be back. Well, uh, one thing's for sure is that we still have a long way to go, unfortunately, before we see probably any of this right. materialize. We've still got a few weeks to go in terms of what everybody's anticipating for the peak of the outbreak here in America, but uh, that remains to be seen. So, well, that'll wrap it up for this week. JP, thank you as always. Thanks. And everybody, stay safe out there and wash your hands.